You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. You are tuned in to The Agenda podcast. I'm Sonal Rupani, standing in for Georgia Tolly today. And we covered so much ground on the show. First of all, we talked about fun at work. Should there be more emphasis on this? It turns out that it's one of the leading drivers for employees about how they experience well-being at work and how much they stay engaged. We caught up with two experts to ask whether happy employees means a better bottom line for business. Plus, we also turned our attention to Mars. That's as the Hope Probe celebrates three years in orbit. We found out a little bit more about what it's meant for scientists right here on Earth. And of course, the World Government Summit is now officially underway in Dubai with a number of world leaders and big names attending. One visitor who's created quite a bit of buzz is Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. He's expected to draw a huge crowd to address the public here in the UAE on Tuesday. We'll ask what that visit means for the UAE's Indian diaspora. Also, we took a look at some of the confusing outcomes from last week's Pakistani elections. Finally, closer to home, we've seen some unsettled weather conditions. We found out a little bit more about how you can stay safe as you're driving on the roads. and welcome along to the agenda. I'm Sonal standing in for Georgia and there is so much to discuss on the show today. What what a week for me to be joining the agenda. There's so much ground to cover. We've got the World Government Summit that kicks off today with that a great focus of course on the upcoming visit of India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Plus I want to know who was up to watch the Super Bowl this morning. I mean, I know all of us were woken up at around 6 a.m., like it or not, so you might as well have stayed up and watched a bit of the sports as well. And, of course, we've been getting in loads of messages about the weather conditions, about what's going out on the roads. I know I was out driving to our venue because we are live from the ARN Business Club down at Blue Waters Dubai, and I was surprised at how many people did stay at home. The the roads were actually relatively clear compared to what we're used to in that morning rush hour drive. And I'm joined by Jen Crichton this morning. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? You had a bit of a tougher time getting here than I did this Yeah, morning. I got stuck in um, a fairly extreme bit of flooding yeah. um, just near JLT that, um, yeah, it was quite an interesting watch. It was down to one lane, but there were a lot of people sort of driving into the tunnel and then reversing back out of it which is always helpful that is rough i often see those puddles and those lakes and i steer clear i'm always driving in like you know 60 kilometers on the highway when the conditions are like this and i see people just zipping past blasting through a lake and i just think i would never i would never have the guts to attempt that because i've seen far too many cars just sort of stalled in a lake somewhere over the years And what I didn't know is, I was speaking to somebody yesterday about this, and he said, yeah, I'm never going to not take it seriously again, because he actually had his engine flooded. And I didn't realize, I thought it just recovers. I thought you could just do a quick fix for that. Yeah, I was doing... it basically totals the car, he says. Yeah, it's really bad, but I was doing my sort of slow through the flooding this morning and got undertaken at pace by a taxi. (laughs) Now, I was in a Pajero. Yeah. He was a lot lower down than me, and he went flying through very deep water, and I'm thinking, that doesn't seem very wise but he got through it and then I bumped into him further down the road a few meters down with his hazards on just hanging out yeah turns out not a good plan yeah who knew (laughs) while the weather is a bit gloomy outside I feel like we don't have to be Jen we're trying to we're trying to start (laughs) off the show this week being a little 
lifting because let me ask you a question what's your number one driver in terms of what keeps you interested what keeps you engaged in work it is just the people isn't it I think the biggest difference to enjoying a job or not enjoying a job is whether you get on with the people you work with and you can have a bit of a laugh uh, that's exactly it a bit of a laugh and yet how often do HR teams come around and say, how can we give people a bit more of a laugh on a more regular basis at work? And yet it, it really pays to do that. It pays to emphasize that because according to research from Great Place to Work, they do lists for Fortune magazine, you know, and those, the best places yeah, to yeah, work yeah. And, and all of that. And, and the top driver, they say, for well-being, and this is across demographics, so it doesn't matter which generation you're in, is basically fun. That is the number one factor. They say employees who experience fun at work are 190% to 220% more likely to have high well-being levels at work. Wow, that's a huge stat. 200%. It's crazy. And is there such an emphasis on the importance of flexible and hybrid work that we just thought this is another important priority for employees that maybe we are all overlooking, that employers might be overlooking. So we're joined now by Simon Ritchie. He is the ultimate fun officer, <laughs> formerly head of comms of Yoke Brands. Simon, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much for having me. And of course, we're joined as well by Lucy Dabo. She's CEO of the Workplace Consultancy Together. Lucy, good morning. Good morning. Great to Great to be on the show today, and well done for getting there through all the rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, better well done to Jen. I managed to get here in 10 minutes flat because there's nobody else on the road, so I, I lucked out. But Jen, Jen had a little bit of a struggle, so no, we did have to show up today to get the job done. But I appreciate you both joining us on Teams today to chat about this. Because, well, first, let me start with Simon, because it's quite a title you've got there. I mean, who initiated this? Was this something that was given to you, or did you just announce it one day? <laughs> Yeah, no, listen, it was a bit of a team effort, um, you know, at Yoke Brands, so for those who don't know Yoke Brands, we, we operate restaurant brands like Pickle uh, and Bombard in 1762, which some people might know, uh, and this year for 2024, we decided that we wanted to make it the, the year of you, uh, this is this internal campaign that we're running for the team members that we have, you know, you know, we're a hospitality brand, we, we run these restaurants, we couldn't do what we do without the amazing team that we have that, that put in so much effort in our restaurants every day. So we decided, you know, how can we make this year about them? And I hadn't heard that stat before that, that, that you mentioned about the, you know, 200% happier mm. thanks to having fun in the office. But that's exactly what I'm like. As, as a person, I need to be having fun where I work. I can't just go in somewhere and sit for eight hours straight with my headphones in it and, and focus. I need to be having a, a laugh with my friends. Like Jen said, it's all about the people that you work with. And, and I'm a firm believer in that. So, you know, we were looking at ways we could we could bring that fun in, into into the office as part of this year of you. And we thought this this fun officer role, originally we were going to call it chief fun officer, but we thought the CFO might be unhappy to have his <laughs> uh, taken from them. I quite them, like so the competition, actually, between the two CFOs, battle it out. <laughs> Let's be honest, who would you rather talk with, the financial officer or the fun officer? So <laughs> exactly. I knew I was going to win that one. Um, so yeah, we've gone for this fun UFO ultimate fun officer title, and yeah, it's just all about trying to bring a bit of joy and a bit of playfulness into the workplace. So uh, you know, here in Dubai especially, I think everyone works so so hard that it's so important that we we balance that out with having a bit of fun. And you know, on that topic of we all work so so hard, Lucy, I'm going to put this to you because 
workplaces, they feel like such serious environments. In fact, we take ourselves seriously when it comes to work because we're proud of the work that we do. And in certain environments, you've got clients, you need to appear to be professional. Is that somehow at odds with the idea of having a bit more of a jovial, jokey atmosphere at work? Um, I think it's actually even more complicated than that because the definition of fun is so different depending on who you are, where you come from, what your beliefs and values are. So I think it's brilliant to have fun and I wish all organizations had an ultimate fun officer. I'm gonna add that to my list of dreams for the workplace. My big aspiration is that everyone has a chief culture officer. So now I'm gonna add ultimate fun officer to the list because the most important thing is that it's inclusive. You know, And I think we know that fun unites people um, play and fun, it releases endorphins, which reduces stress. And to your point, Simon, we all need stress reduction. We all work really hard. So there's a natural correlation with building fun into the everyday. It's just we have to be really sensitive, particularly somewhere like the Middle East and the UAE in particular, where we have such a diverse group of people coming from so many different places that we have to be sensitive about how we bring fun to the table and make sure that it's truly inclusive. You know, I want to eventually get to how you create fun at work because that's a whole nother aspect of it. It's it's not necessarily something that needs to be top down. But before we even get to that, I'm curious to hear an experience from your own lives, the, both of you. And we'll start with Simon on this one. What's the most fun you've ever had at work? And why was that? What was it about that particular situation? Well, that's a very good question. Um, you know, I would say and it's, it's quite broad, but I think um, where I worked previously, um, I was the editor of a magazine and we had you know, loads of other magazines uh, around me where I worked and it was a very challenging role where you could feel quite alone. Um, and so what was really important there and when I had the most fun was when you kind of got that camaraderie when you worked as a team, when you worked with other people um, in the office who, who you wouldn't normally have worked with. But when you had that opportunity to come together, uh, that was when you really had fun. That was when you felt like you were enjoying yourself. That was when you kind of felt that, that extra passion for the job and, and for the role that you had. Um, so yeah, so not one specific time, but I just think any time when you really bring people together. And I think Lucy made a very good point about here in the, the in the UAE and in the Middle East about the, the diversity of cultures that we have. I think at Yoke Brands we have something like 50 different nationalities working for us. So you know, you you definitely have to be to be aware of that. Everyone's idea of fun is different. So in that case, it's about having a different variety of many different varieties of fun so that people can get engaged with the things that they want to and, and, and miss out on the things that perhaps aren't for them. Because yeah, so the thing that I found the most fun in my time might be different from someone else. Mm, definitely. Lucy, what about you? Um, I think for me, humor is like the number one. And, um, you know, laughing, laughter for me is one of the most enjoyable parts of having fun at work. And a recent example actually was hilarious with um, our team at Together. We were doing an award submission and, you know, we were on a really tight deadline and thinking, how can we do this in a different way? And someone came up with the idea of us using chat GPT to try to, you know, maximize um, AI and doing a rap. And I have to confess, none of us are <laughs> natural rappers, but we, you know, the whole team got behind the challenge and we all stepped wildly out of our comfort zone. And one of our team is actually a music producer in the sideline, who knew um, all these great talents that people have. And it was just the most hilarious, bonding, fun experience. And you know what? We didn't actually use the submission in the end, but for all of us, it's one of our fondest memories of the last couple of months because we just laughed and laughed and laughed. And it was brilliant. 
You know, I totally agree with that. It's sometimes something, just doing something creative, whether it has a point or not. For me, um, at a previous company, you know, we all, it was again, a bit of a serious place in many ways. But when my boss was leaving, we decided to create a spoof of The Office for him as a goodbye video. And we spent days, I'm embarrassed to say, days on this project, but just put ourselves in absurd situations, filmed it, edited it, all did it as a team, got together and watched it. And just having that sort of creative outlet when we were otherwise maybe writing reports, you know, just really gave us something. It's one of my fondest memories of that job that I was at for three years. If you ask me what my favorite memory of that job was, it's probably that particular little non-work project. to the agenda if you are just tuning in. I'm Sonal Rupani standing in for Georgia Tolly, and we're going to get back to our guests who have been waiting very patiently, it's fair to say, as we're talking about the subject of the importance of having fun in the workplace. It's so important for both retention, for people keeping people engaged, but also potentially for your company's bottom line. And we have Simon Ritchie, the ultimate fun officer of Yoke Brands. They're behind some of your favorite F&B outlets like Pickle, for example. Lucy Dabo, CEO of Workplace consultancy together is also still with us. Simon, Lucy, thanks so much for holding on the line as we came back from that break. But I want to get to an important uh, question. And Simon, I'll start with you on this one, which is how do you create fun at work? I mean, Lucy had mentioned earlier in our conversation uh, about the fact that fun means something different to everyone. You do have to be a bit sensitive to different cultural differences. What's your approach to it at Yoke? No, absolutely. It's It's a great point. Uh, for us, it's, you know, by doing a, a variety of things, you know, as, as a company as well, we, our our uh, our staff are, are split between. We have the restaurant staff who, who are in Pickle, who are in Bombard every day serving, serving our guests. And we have our HQ staff who are the kind of behind the scenes team like myself who, who work from an office. So we need to find ways that to engage with, with all of them. As I said it's across different cultures. We have 50 different nationalities in the brand. So. What we do is we have a whole number of different ways that we just try and engage and try and reach out. As I said, for me, the most important part is just togetherness. I think, you know, people are willing to try things that are outside of their own comfort zone that perhaps aren't part of their culture or that they've never done before. If everyone else is getting involved as well and if they can see that everyone's having a good time. So, you know, we've tried to do that. For example, in our headquarters on a Monday morning, uh, not today because of the weather, uh, of course. Uh, but usually on a Monday morning, we have a, an HQ stand-up meeting where everyone comes together. And what we've been doing before that is doing little games. It could be quizzes. Uh, it could be quizzes about burgers uh, to see who's got the best pickle knowledge. It could be a, a, um, a tournaments on um, rock, paper, scissors. Uh, it could be anything. We're just trying to get people engaged. Things that we can do quickly that get the spirits up, that get the blood pumping and get people excited. You know, every Friday afternoon, we have a paper plane time competition with different points for creativity and distance and, and different things like that. Um, yeah, and, and with our restaurant team, we're, we've currently instigated a, a Yolks Got Talent competition. Oh, where I across love that. Yeah, this is the fantastic thing I think about this is that it means anyone, whatever you as a have culturally that's specific to you as a talent perhaps that no one else is maybe even aware of, you can share that with everyone and they can get the joy out of that that you have. So it's fantastic. So we're, we're currently getting entries from that and it's just been fantastic to see people getting involved and having fun. 
You know, as Simon says that, Lucy, it's it's not just about putting on events, is it? Because so much of that is about creating a sense of belonging at work, feeling valued at your company, feeling part of a community. And I feel like that's oftentimes the first step, isn't it? Because there are other important priorities. And in order to create an event where you're having fun at work, and let's say you're doing events and things, for people to even want to show up to set events, they need to feel like they're part of the company. So how how can employers really try to encourage that? I think um, what Yoke Brands is doing and what Simon's described is the perfect start. You know, you have to be intentional about the desire to build a culture of fun. So kind of have to stand behind it and kind of say, this is what we value. As an organization, one of our values is about fun. And the reason we value that is because we believe in people, we believe in connection, you know, whatever the narrative is around that, to help explain to the workforce why fun is important for this business and what it's gonna mean for them. Because in the end, all employees are interested what's in it for them, right? We all think, what's in it for me, whether we're the CEO or, you know, in accounts, it makes no difference. So being really clear and intentional, but actually the layer beyond that is um, very much about how leadership behave. And a lot of emphasis goes on how the leaders define fun and stand behind it because that kind of creates that psychological safety which says, okay, I'm, I, it's okay to do this. You know, because we naturally um, are hardwired as humans to kind of mimic behavior. So if you've got a leader standing up saying, today is all about fun, but they are like the opposite <laughs> of fun in that very moment, or they're saying it in a very serious way, or they have a, a kind of legacy of a bit of a fear-based culture in how they lead. You can sense that there'd be this trepidation from people in the organization going, I, can I, am I, what, what does that mean? So it's really important to kind of set the boundaries, if you like, and um, build that kind of psychological safety so everyone knows they can participate and they can take part and this is fun time. You know, it might not be the serious work time, this is the fun time, and then after that, we can get back to work. And to be honest, it makes great business sense. There is so much data to back up that having fun in the office, playing at work, delivers better outcomes for an organization. It's something like 20, up to 20% more productivity from um, a workforce that has fun and a kind of play as part of their day-to-day. -day. So it makes good business sense for sure. Yeah, and hopefully we've inspired a few people out there on the roads listening to this. Simon, Lucy, thank you so much for joining us on the agenda today. Thank you. Thank you. And exactly what Lucy was saying there, it's, it's not even just the statistics, it's common sense, isn't it? Because we think of our own experiences and how engaged you feel, how switched on, how committed you are to getting your work done. Of course, that's going to increase your productivity the more that you feel like you belong and you're having fun in your workplace. So it is definitely something that does impact the bottom line. It does impact retention. And of course, it does impact feelings of well-being at work. As we mentioned earlier, some 200% more, according to research, that that people feel well-being at work if they're having fun. So thank you so much to Simon and to Lucy once again for that chat. We do have more on the way on the agenda. Stay with us.
listening to The Agenda with Sonal Jen alongside me as well. We're down at the ARN Business Club, which is getting busier and busier as the morning progresses. But we're turning our attention now to the Hope Probe because it's been three years since the UA's ambitious probe entered the Mars orbit on February 9th, 2021. It's actually really hard to imagine. I can remember that countdown of the launch seared in my memory, so it's really difficult to think that it's been that long. But of course, the scientific contribution of the probe already has been immense. So to reflect on this, we're joined now by Dr. Dimitri Atri, who's a planetary scientist at New York University in Abu Dhabi. Dr. Dimitra, thanks for joining us. And it's great, great to be here. And Dr. Dimitra, tell us a little bit about the data that we've received, because of course it is momentous to have marked these three years. What have the most important insights and new discoveries been so far? Yeah, so HOPE is a great observatory. It has been orbiting Mars for three Earth years, as uh, as you just uh, mentioned. Uh, One of the things it has shown us is these spectacular views. It has an amazing camera. It has a global view of Mars. And so the kind of images that we have seen from HOPE, uh, we haven't seen Mars uh, this way earlier. And so we stitched together these images to create a beautiful map and atlas of Mars, the first photographic atlas of Mars. And it is now being used by international scientists. For example, NASA Goddard is using it in Mars 24 application, which is used to uh, map Mars. It is used for timekeeping on Mars. It is used by, you know, JMAR software, which is used by planetary scientists all across the world. So this is, you know, one of the major things just to see Mars in unprecedented detail. Another major thing is discovery of new types of auroras. Uh, As we know on Earth, um, we see auroras in polar regions. Well, on Mars, we do not have a strong magnetic field like that on the Earth. Mars, Mars is a very weak magnetic field. But we do see auroras there, and people have been studying auroras on Mars for a long time. But because of Hope's unique view, we were able to see auroras which span thousands of kilometers across the disk, which were never seen before. So this is something brand new for the global scientific community. And uh, we are still trying to figure out, you know, what is the reason why these auroras are occurring? And once we figure it out, we'll be able to basically understand how Mars lost most of its atmosphere and water. And that is one of the biggest questions that we tend to see when we talk about the study of Mars. It's that Martian atmosphere, how the, the planet potentially went from a warm and wet planet to the cold and lifeless planet that we see today. How do you start to solve and st- stitch together some of the, the clues to that puzzle as planetary scientists? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we know uh, at a broader level that uh, radiation coming from the sun, it is called solar wind. So when solar wind interacts with the weak at, um, with the weak magnetic field of Mars, with the atmosphere of Mars, it gradually erodes it because it does not have a strong magnetic field like that of the Earth. So part of the atmosphere gets eroded over a period of millions and millions of years. And so this transformation has taken place over the last roughly 3 billion years, billion with a B. 
And we see all these interactions now with hope. Uh, one of uh, the interactions causes these auroras to form. So by studying these new types of auroras, we are going to learn something new about Mars. How does this solar wind interact with this magnetic field and the atmosphere? And once we are able to figure out uh, the physics underpinning uh, these emissions, then we'll able to understand how this erosion of atmosphere is taking place. And it will help us uh, answer this problem. How did Mars uh, lose most of its atmosphere and water? Yeah, it's an incredibly intriguing area of research and, and really interesting to see what the HOPE probe has brought to the scientific community. Dr. Dimitra, thank you so much for joining us on the line today. All right, thank you. That's the voice there of Dr. Dimitra Atri, planetary scientist at New York University in Abu Dhabi. Sonal with you standing in for Georgia on the agenda today. Jen's alongside me as well. And it's fair to say it is a busy week. We've got the World Government Summit, of course, kicking off today. More than 25 world leaders and 140 governments among the 4,000 individuals who are attending the event. Of course, we just watched the Super Bowl. Jen and I have been catching up a little bit on some of the photographs, of course, on Taylor Swift and her entourage, because that's what we're interested in, it's fair to say. Um, and yeah, Jen, I mean, it's, are you with me on this it's everybody just cares about Travis Kelsey and Taylor it's a bit like that isn't it I mean I kind of feel a bit sorry for them the sort of media circus around them but I'm really enjoying Blake Lively's outfit turns out if you want to look chic in a tracksuit you just need half a million dollars worth of jewels to Uh, go with it that helps that definitely it also helps to look a little bit like Blake Lively but (laughs) never hurts does it no it doesn't Uh, but we you're talking about so much on the show today that's going on of course the weather is definitely interesting outside so a lot of people staying in today the world government summit though as it's going it's a three-day event it's themed shaping future governments it's bringing some of the high profile figures to the uae among them turkish president rajib tayyip erdogan OpenAI ceo sam altman who's been making a lot of headlines lately as well uh the bollywood actor shahrukh khan and of course notably one visit that is creating quite a bit of buzz here in the uae is that of indian prime minister narendra modi he's also going to be in town inaugurating the hindu temple in abu dhabi and tomorrow more than sixty thousand indian experts Spots are expected to turn out for his Ahlan Modi event for the public down at Zayed Sports City. So we wanted to discuss this a little bit. Joining us now is Suresh Kumar. He's chair of the Indian Business and Professionals Council. Good morning, Suresh. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, and Suresh, tell us what's in store for Prime Minister Modi's visit tomorrow. What are we expecting from the Ahlan Modi event? And how excited are you? I think... Uh, measurably excited, uh, if there is such a word, uh, because I think the Prime Minister arrives, it's a special visit, he's got four items on the agenda, as uh, you outlined earlier. He starts with uh, a meeting with uh, the UAE President, Zainal Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayan in Abu Dhabi, uh, and then uh, as part of that, uh, he's got uh, a fairly, uh, you know, extensive agenda to discuss with him, finalize a few initiatives, etc. And so I think that uh, will roll out uh, in, in terms of news and in terms of initiatives in the next uh, 
few months, few uh, few years actually, because these are strategic initiatives uh, across investments, trade, uh, you know, uh, environment, ecology. So it it ranges over a number of sectors. So that's a special meeting, followed by Ahlan Modi in Abu Dhabi Sports City. Uh, 60,000 are expected, and I hope the weather holds up well tomorrow for it. Uh, so that's tomorrow evening. And then, of course, he arrives in Dubai, uh, attends the World Government uh, Summit, World Government Summit, uh, and, uh, you know, he will speak there. From there, in the afternoon, early afternoon, he goes to inaugurate the BAPS Hindu Mandir, as we call it. And so he's got quite a few things uh, on his agenda. Yeah, so it'll be it'll trip. be interesting. It'll be path breaking. And you know the event itself, when it comes to the Ahlan Modi event, a sixty thousand people. It's quite inconceivable, really. And we take for granted that oh, sure, he is the you know leader of the country. Of course, people would want to go out and to attend. But as one of my colleagues from a different place told me, I wouldn't go out to see my prime minister. There is a lot of interest in seeing him from the community. What's behind that? I think two things. Uh, A, he connects up with the Indian diaspora in whichever large city that he visits, whether it is New York, where he started this uh, uh, initiative of connecting up with the community, to uh, you know Sydney, to uh, you know any place where, that you name, and the UAE has the largest expatriate community as you know over yeah. 3.5 million indians are here and if you add the floating population and there's a significant floating population it's much higher mm. and uh, so i think he connects up well with them he appraises them shares his personal views so uh, this is a highly engaging conversation that he does uh, in that and then you know obviously uh, uh, he also uh, knows that the Indian community here is fairly influential uh, and it's necessary to carry them in terms of, uh, you know, some of the initiatives, uh, the cross-border initiatives, whether it is the SEPA, which is the Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement mm -hmm. that was signed. UAE was the first country to sign it with India. And uh, so a number of such things he uh, seeks the support, enthusiasm, participation of the Indian community. And so, Alan Modi. You've been here actually yourself for about 40 years now, a leader in the business community. I mean, tell me a little bit more. We've had historically such close ties between the UAE and India. How have you seen that relationship change over the years in general, but then also in terms of the business community? I think in general, uh, you know, uh, there has been significant amount of uh, Emiratis visiting India in the uh, in the 19th and early 20th century. Significant numbers. Uh, Mumbai was the place to go. Uh, it used to be called Bombay at that time, and uh, many of them. Here, love the monsoon there, you know, and today we have rains. Uh, that reminds me of monsoon in India, which which happens for three months almost on a daily basis. You have heavy downpour. Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of connection for healthcare purposes, for uh, 
travel tourism, the spice trade. So you take any segment, any walk of life, there was a significant amount of Indian influence, uh, both in terms of visits by uh, the pearl traders at that time to uh, to, to the to the day now. Uh, it changed remarkably uh, when UAE started to construct, uh, you know, um, a, a modern city like Dubai and Abu Dhabi, etc. Significant amount of blue-collar workforce came here. And very quickly, they were followed by professionals. And in parallel, you had uh, a large number, possibly the largest number of Indian businessmen uh, doing business outside India uh, in Dubai. Uh, and so I think it's a combination of number of factors. Uh, the lives have changed. You know, uh, some of the Indian community members that I meet are grandsons of their grandfathers who came here 150 years back and they used to, uh, you know, walk on foot from Dubai to Abu Dhabi, Dubai to Sharjah and so on. And some of them set up the first electricity company that was formed in Dubai. It used to be called Dubai Electricity Company uh, and they were allowed to uh, make electricity and distribute uh, to a very, through the very small community that was there. Uh, some of them, uh, you know, uh, had very close relationships, celebrated Diwali, the Indian Festival of Lights, along with Emirati. So there's a very long-standing relationship at the social, cultural, economic, and now, of course, uh, in terms of investment relationships. Yes, and that's definitely something that we're going to see continue as we go. So we're very much looking forward to hearing his address tomorrow and bringing you the updates for that. Suresh, thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning. Thank you. Turning our attention now to international news because it's been days since Pakistan went to the polls. And of course, the country has held its elections, but any hopes of that fast result were dashed, it's fair to say, pretty quickly. Jen's alongside me, and you've been staying across the story. I have, and it's, I mean, it's a very interesting one, this. And of course, to understand what's happening, you need to remember the context of this election because it is quite unusual. Now, as things currently stand, Imran Khan and his supporters appear to have attracted most of the popular vote. But Imran Khan was jailed a Mm. little over a week ago in three separate cases, in fact. And that means that his party has stood for election with no figurehead. That has kind of left a bit of a vacuum of power. And as a result, conversations are continuing today between the country's second and third political blocs who are aiming to reach a cooperation deal to take power, but it's not formalised yet. So to get a better sense of what's been going on and just how much uncertainty is still going on, last night I sat down with Pakistani lawyer Osama Malik, who joined me from Islamabad to explain the lie of the land. Well, at this moment, both parties, Imran Khan's party, and Nawaz Sharif's party are claiming to have won the elections. The problem is that Imran Khan's party does not have any candidates in this election. It's because his party was stripped of its symbol after his conviction and also because of the fact that his party failed to conduct intra-party elections. And so at this moment, on the basis of technicality, it is 
Pakistan Muslim League of Nawaz Sharif, that is the leading party, despite having less seats than the independence packed by Imran Khan. So that's the kind of situation we are in. We don't know who has won. That is what is making things interesting. On top of that, there are lots of challenges to various results. In Pakistan, if the margin is low, then there is an automatic recount. But if the margin is very large, then you have to go to court. So a lot of candidates have gone to court. So we're not sure what the courts will do. We'll start finding out on Monday if the courts start ordering recount across whole constituencies, then it could take very, very, very long to figure all of this out. But if the courts only order recounts on certain polling stations, then perhaps this could be resolved quickly. But we're not entirely sure at this moment. And of course, there are a lot of people claiming that the election was not run fairly, a lot of claims of things looking a bit suspicious in the way that votes have been handled. What's the feeling on the ground around how this election was conducted and where things go from here? The election itself, i.e. the polling day, that went so well that we thought that everything that would follow would also go well. But it was only when the results started pouring in, that is where the problem started. And they were very, very slow after a first few hours. It just stopped completely. And then it took hours and hours and hours of waiting. And then the results started trickling in. And it took more than 24 hours from quite a few constituencies to get the full result. And that, I think, has caused a question mark on the whole exercise. So we're not sure about the extent of the rigging, but we are sure that there is something seriously suspicious about it, particularly because of the delay in the results. What role does the military have to play now? Because a lot of the news coverage coming out of Pakistan at the moment is talking about the role that the military plays in electoral proceedings there and now has to play amid this uncertainty. Well, the military officially has only made a statement that all parties should sit together and figure out. Unofficially, they could very well kind of encourage or convince the independents to join one or the other party. And therein lies the problem because there are so many independents, many of them or most of them backed by PTI, but they are independents and they can, uh, legally speaking, join any party. So who knows? I mean, if 10 or 20 of those could be convinced by the military to join other parties. And this is something that has happened before. In 2018, it was Nawaz Sharif whose party had more seats, particularly in the Punjab. And then all the independents were sort of encouraged to join Imran Khan and he formed the government in Punjab as well. So something like that could happen and the military could well be involved in that. But we're not sure yet. So given the level of uncertainty and coming as soon as it does on the back of Imran Khan's imprisonment, how long do you expect it will be before there's any sort of certainty for people in Pakistan? It now depends on the courts. Um, If the courts do not order constituency-wide recounts for multiple constituencies, then parliament could be called in, in the next week or so. But yeah, it's with the courts now depends on how many constituencies are topped from declaring results and recounts are ordered. And if recounts are ordered in multiple constituencies for the entire constituency, then this could take a few more weeks, a couple of more weeks, because there'll be appeals against the recounts to the Supreme Court. That's going to take time. 
Pakistani lawyer Osama Malik there joining us from Islamabad and it sounds as though it's going to be an interesting few days still to come before there's going to be anything solid appearing from that election. Yeah, fascinating story. Thank you so much for bringing that one to us, Jen. We have so much more coming your way on the agenda. Government workers have been told to stay at home due to bad weather across the UAE. We've been getting a lot of messages in from listeners who've been telling us just that. They're having a work from home day. And we really noticed that this time around with the inclement weather that we got a lot of notification about it, a lot of warnings to just help the city manage and cope a lot better. We're getting a lot of photos as well on the text lines with flooding across the roads. So the fewer cars that are out there, certainly the better. We're joined now by Diana Khadi. She is Security Awareness Department at to Dubai Police. Diana, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, Diana, government workers have been told to work from home. It's likely that many private employees have followed suit. And this was an alert that we got days ago. Why are you advising people to stay at home? Because I think sometimes expats from certain other countries think, why is there so much fuss in the UAE over a bit of rain? Why did you decide to take these measures? I mean, uh, I think uh, we've all already seen that uh, the effects of the rain were quite, uh, let's say, drastic. And compared to UAE, we don't usually re- receive such heavy amounts of rain. So I assume that most of the public would not be used to driving in such weather conditions. So they're more prone to maybe causing an accident or, you know, having some kind of uh, small incident. So the less cars we have on the roads, of course, in such conditions, the better. Yeah, and most of us got a bit of a 6 a.m. shock this morning. I'm sure you got it yourself. How is an alert like that planned? Because it's not used very often. So who, first of all, who picked the time for that one? For which uh, aspect exactly? There's uh, this 6 a.m. alert that many of us got on our phones. It was a loud alarm that that we received as a notification from the government authorities. So I believe uh, it depends on which uh, jurisdiction you're in as well. Mm. Some people receive it from different police forces as well. Some would be from Ministry of Interior, some would be from Dubai Police, some would be from even Fajera Police. But I assume the earlier, the better would be in case people are going to work. So we understand not everyone uh, has off like all government employees. So it's best to have the alert out there as early as possible to give you an advice to Make sure that if you are going out at such a time, to please be careful while driving. Yeah, and you know, I'm always in awe of how quickly the the cleanup takes because, as you said, we see how extreme sometimes the disruption is on the roads in terms of flooding that we see, and uh, in, in terms of some certain traffic uh, delays as well. And I have a colleague that just you know bumped into me. She arrived at our venue, uh, you know, an hour or two after I came here, and she said, "Listen, it's already starting to get cleaned up." Tell us a yeah. little bit about those operations, about how you managed to do them. So effectively and efficiently. So these operations, I believe, they would be more in relevance with RTA rather than Dubai Police itself. For us, we are more actually focusing on um, keeping people safe and giving them precautions on how to drive in such weather conditions, not the actual cleanup process. Of course. So, and and just the last one for you is just what's your message to people out there who are, you know, we may still continue to see some inclement weather over the course of the day. What's your advice to people out there today who are listening? So I believe we had a segment about this uh, a a couple of months ago as well. So given such uh, weather conditions, uh, we understand, you know, that there's a lot of rain, there is wind, and it's quite heavy as well, sometimes even lightning. And in some regions, we actually even have hail. So this can reduce your visibility. So as always, we want to always make sure that people are slowing down while driving in such conditions. 
to be cautious, be alert. So, of course, you know, we always encourage you to not play with the phone, but in such conditions, we ask you to be extra alert and pay attention to your surroundings. Try to refrain from going to the sea and the beaches in such weather conditions. And avoid areas where you can get a lot of ponds, uh, you can say a lot of water accumulation. Diana, thank you so much for joining us on the agenda today. Thank you for having me. That's Diana Gadi. She is spreading the awareness as part of the Security Awareness Department over at Dubai Police. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8.